What was bugs called again? Orthopterans. Or orthopterans. I want to know. Ornithopter. O R. I want to see what it looks like. It's like O R T H. Oh, okay. Or E T E R N. Orthopterans. Did I spell it right? I don't know. Orthopterans. That's the one. Crickets, grasshoppers, cave crickets, Jerusalem critics. <clears throat> Jerusalem. I hate those critics from Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem crickets. Cated its web ludder. There's a lot of them. And locusts. Yep. Just got to say, sorry, Orthoptera order. I don't like you right now. Yeah, that's a bad order. You're just infesting my town. Not a good order. I don't like order. it. I don't like it. All the other but ones are bad. But I did learn that Ornithopter is actually a type of aviation machine, it looks like. Well, that's a weird connection to accidentally learn about. Yeah. Oh. Let's is see it here. Named after them? I think Ornithopters may flap their wings. Really? Whereas airplanes don't flap. That's interesting. And uh, I don't see a whole lot of flapping wing vehicles recently. Yeah, maybe so they uh, don't work very well. They might not. Well, I don't know. They probably work, but they probably don't work for, I don't know, jet planes. That seems like it might be a little bit of a bumpy ride. Where's your Skype, bro? Um, I'm now logged in. I will call you then. Bam. Cool. I am thrilled about these and developments. Then, and then I will ha -ha. mute you. Ha. Ha. It's a mutiny. Get it? No, I don't get it. Could you explain the joke to me? <laughs> Could you let me know? Well, you see, there's these pirates, right? And they're yeah. like their captain. So they're like, yo, you're not our captain anymore. And they throw him overboard. And then he has to lash two sea turtles with his beard. Okay. And that's how he gets home. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. That is a funny joke. Ha <laughs> ha. I liked it. Ha. So we're doing five questions today. And I'm pretty excited. Oh, yeah. Are you excited? Something. I'm, I'm so excited something. that I need to go get the Not questions. Sure what it is. <laughs> something. <laughs> uh, it looks like all these questions are, are tur tolder, turtles. Tolders. Oh, I summarized them. I okay. Some TLDRs. Sweet. On all the questions. Do you think I should read all of them verbatim or should we just read the, to the, the tolders? Uh, verbatim. A lot of the words aren't related to the question, which okay. is why I TLDR'd. They're like entire emails. Cool. Well, I will read the tolders then. Yeah. Proper intro time. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another Five Questions episode on the College Info Geek Podcast. Yeah. What up? And you know what, Martin? Learning. I'm tired of these questions coming from celebrity babies. Yeah. Tired of it. Yeah. So this I time. That. I can see that. This the 1 time. 1% getting all the questions. He got to answer from the 99%. Huh? Yeah. So we, we gotta, we're going to go to a different spectrum, a different little pocket of society here. Okay. Uh, I've got questions that are coming from the 27 lamest superheroes and villains in comic books. Ooh. <laughs> so I got to find some really lame ones, though. Wonder if any of these are going to, like, hurt one of our feelings. <laughs> Why do you think it's gonna? I'm gonna go down the list and like number 22 like is Martin Bamey. No, it's gonna be like your favorite hero. Or if I'm in there, I'm gonna feel great. What is your favorite hero, Martin? I don't know. That's I. My I favorite hero know. is Doctor Doom. Um, because he is a great hero. I'm going with Tobey Maguire, Spider Man. <laughs> I'm gonna go with 60s Spider Man all day. I mean, clearly the best. I don't think about comic book heroes very often, though, so... J. Jonah Jameson is the greatest hero. Yeah. Anyway, guys, so once in a while we do five questions episodes, if you're new to the podcast, where we take questions primarily from our community over on Reddit, which you can get to by going to collegeinfogeek.com slash community, and uh, you can ask any kind of questions you want there. The cool thing about doing it in the community is people will answer them probably before we get to them, so you get extra answers from other smart people and then sometimes we cover them on the podcast and the reason that we usually pick dumb names is because i don't want to try pronouncing reddit names yeah that doesn't work uh but you can also email us i guess because people <laughs> will continue to email us all the time and i guess that's fine uh i usually just forward the questions to martin and then we get them all collected for these kinds of episodes yeah and now we've got a cool show notes short link system which you built I Thank try. you very much. I try. And you can find the show notes for this episode with links to any of the resources we talk about over at CIGpodcast.com slash 127, because that's this episode's number. So 
Our first question comes from Phil Grayfield, who is the NFL super pro. Is is that a superhero? He's like a, a football player? Uh, yeah, he's a super football player. <laughs> and uh, right. what I'm looking at is a super villain who is shooting saw blades out of his wrists and, and he was... the football player is dodging them by doing weird tackle maneuvers. <laughs> yeah, this is a terrible superhero. I don't know what they were smoking over at Marvel. That's Good job. Hilarious. Nice. Anyway, <laughs> if you're going to have a, an NFL-related superhero, it just needs to be Mike Ditka and no gimmick, just Mike yeah. Ditka yeah. with like a plate of Polish sausage, and he's just like looking at you all disappointedly. Like, But you still got to put him in like a, like a latex superhero <laughs> suit. Just a big MD on him? Yeah. Or just... that look like a doctor. There you go. Yeah. But he's not. He's Mike Ditka. Anywho, this first question, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, the, the TLDR here is with documentaries, YouTube videos, and podcasts, why should I read nonfiction books in 2016? Good question. Uh, Martin, I want you to take this first because you don't consume much internet media and you do consume a lot of books. Oh, so that's true. why do you choose to read... <laughs> A lot of books and why do you choose to ignore a bunch of stuff on the internet that you could learn from well I guess I don't know I just don't like video as a format okay very much because I have far more control in a book whether I want to read the same section 32 times to understand it whether I want to pause where I'm reading just close the book walk away come back in a week that's a lot more obnoxious to do with like a YouTube video or a documentary where I got to write down all right I was watching this DVD I'm at 32 minutes four seconds I just I don't want to also it feels more of an obligation if it's a documentary it's like two or three hours mm. something I gotta sit down watch that I get that for yeah so long but a book I can just read 20 minutes at a time I want to watch the documentary all at once I think it really comes down to preference because I've got a friend his name is uh, Sean Davis who you know because he built volatile which our website theme is built on top of yeah and he he's a super smart guy really curious dude has learned a lot of different things about a lot of different topics but he doesn't read books he like only watches documentaries yeah. and that's his preferred style of learning and i think that's fine so it's partly a matter of preference the one thing i'm going to say about nonfiction books is that when you read something like a blog post or you listen to a podcast you're getting a sort of abridged version yeah. and you're getting someone's you're basically getting like something from a different stage down the line. You're getting someone else's interpretation of what the main points of that original work is. And that may or may not be helpful to you, but I think there's a lot to be said for digging into a substantial piece of work and having to come to your own conclusions about that work. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a movie that you watch. If you watch a YouTube video or you read an article or you're listening to somebody talk about it on a podcast, there's a decent chance that it's mostly taken or inspired by some sort of nonfiction book or some research papers or some, mm -hmm. or just like a fiction book in the case of a movie like Harry Potter, where the director or whoever's in charge of the screenwriting is picking what's important to them and explaining it in the way they understood it. Yeah. But going back to the Harry Potter example, there's stuff in the movies that I didn't think was very important and stuff that I thought was very important that's not in the movies. Mm -hmm. So you're getting their preference of summary and there might be pieces that you're missing out on. I'd be really curious to know, and this would be, this is ridiculous to think about, but what about some alternate universe where the movies came out before the Harry Potter books? I wonder how people would view the books or, you know, would the movies have been as, as successful? I don't know. Are novelizations of movies generally successful? I'm not aware of that being a thing. I know people read them. And I mean, well, yeah, you I can know, look I, at Star I, Wars I, as like the perfect them, example. Like, I don't hear about them nearly as much as their movie counterpart. Yeah, that's true. Star Wars is the thing that comes to mind for me. It's, I mean, it spawned a ridiculously huge universe of, of like dozens of novels, maybe yeah. even hundreds. So that's a good example of movie to book transformation but i'm just curious because I, I showed you guys that nerd writer video about why the third harry potter is at least in cinematic terms one of the better movies in the franchise yeah just because of what the director does some of his decisions and it all kind of ties back to each other and uh you and especially ashley's gripes seem to be more about the oh, yeah, book I, I and the movie more, differences I care more about the dialogue and the pieces of plot that are missing i appreciate mm -hmm. the like the cinematic essence 
of it. Yeah. I'm not judging it on those terms because I'm not educated on those terms. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's more than just stuff that they're summarizing that you thought was important. Some topics don't have this kind of a summary. I was reading um, Our Magnificent Bastard Tongue, a really cool book about the history of the English language. And just to test this out, I looked for several of the topics in there earlier today that I really thought were interesting. I can't Mm -hmm. find anything on YouTube that's of use. So there are certain specialized pieces of information that may not have a documentary, YouTube video, article, convenient form yet. Yeah. So if you want to get really specialized, a book may be your easiest source of information. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I haven't thought about this too hard before. And as is the case with a lot of things you haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about, I don't know if I'm 100% sure about my thoughts right now. So just take this as sort of like with a grain of salt, this is my thought right now. But there's this movement towards the production of more and more accessible content, you know, stuff that can be digested on the train, on your phone, YouTube app, right? It's just really easy. And I think there is a time and place for this kind of stuff. And I do really like the development of it. For example, uh, one app I use is called Blinkist and they write 15 minute summaries of business and nonfiction books. And if you're a premium subscriber, I think like their, their second tier plan, you get audio narrations of these, of these summaries of the summary. Yeah. So like literally every day you could wake up, download an audio narration of, you know, good to great or the latest Cal Newport book or uh, the power of habit or something like that. And you could listen to it. And I think there's a lot to be gained from that. And I will use Blinkist sometimes to like vet a book that I want to read to see, you know, is this actually worth it or is because some nonfiction books, especially business books, are 300 pages of the author needing to fill 300 pages so they can tout having written a big book. Yeah. You know, or a publisher wants it to look substantial. But other business books or other books in general are awesome and they're just packed with like 300 pages is not even enough of insight pretty much. So you can use it as a filter of sorts. But I think the less accessible a piece of content is or the format is, it tends to trend along the lines of it also being closer to either the truth or or a more accurate and precise version of what we know about the world or just having more thought put into it. So you watching some YouTube video about the conclusions of some scientific study will give you the broad strokes, but you're not going to have a detailed knowledge of it until you actually go dig into the research findings. Uh, You can go watch my video, which is six minutes long on why speed reading doesn't work. And I can give you the broad strokes of the biology. This is why, you know, the saccades of your eyes are this long and you have, you know, this many slots of working memory and this is the bottleneck. You get, you get the picture. But if you go and dig into Elizabeth Schotter's 30 page research review that collates 30 years worth of scientific inquiry into this study, you learn a lot more both about the biology of how the eyes work and about the actual results of tests that have been done. And I think that gives you a bit of a competitive edge because everyone can consume this really accessible content really, really quickly. And then they all know it. But if you can go and take the time and put the effort into consuming and critically thinking about something that's a bit more meaty well, now you have more knowledge that you can share and you can build a business on that or you can use that to gain a competitive edge in your job. You can have it, you know, help you build bigger skills. So you could be the person summarizing that information. Yeah, you could be your the, own videos on YouTube. Oh, no, I think that uh, are you trying to describe somebody we know? Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, we, we wouldn't have been able to make a podcast about the art of loving if we had yeah, not we had read, read the book, first. The Art of Loving. You know, but I don't want to restrict this too much to the, the arena of, of content creation because most people are not content creators professionally. So I want to talk about the benefits of consuming big, meaty, difficult material in other areas of life. Now, something I think about a lot is the fact that your brain is essentially just a gigantic web of connections. And to me, creativity is absolutely dependent upon you having a really dense and varied network of connections. And actually, I've gotten questions like this uh, in the past along the lines of, you know, why do I need to memorize things? Why do I need to learn lots of things when I have access to Google? I can Google any piece of information in two seconds. 
And it's true, you can, but if you do that, number one, you're becoming beholden to whatever company controls access to that information, which is Google in this case. But number two, if you don't have these dense chunks of knowledge in your brain, you're reducing your own ability to be creative because that's all creativity is. It's just this process of combining two existing pieces of knowledge into something that didn't exist before, right? Yeah, and, and even more than just creativity, this helps you learn. Half of what helped me learn languages in college was that I had so many other things to connect each word to to remember it. Mm -hmm. The network of connections you have is going to help make other things more memorable down the road Yeah, and help you combine ideas that maybe other people didn't think of. So, Yeah, exactly. And for one last little piece of our argument here, if you spend time doing things that are difficult, then you get better at doing more similarly difficult things. The more work you put into learning, the better you get at learning. Yeah. It's just how the human brain works. When we stress ourselves to a certain degree, you know, not overtaxing, but stress ourselves to a certain degree, we get better. Our brains adapt. So if you're spending all your time basically snacking on popcorn light information on YouTube, you know, you're doing nothing but watching YouTube videos or listening to casual podcast episodes or even reading Blinkist summaries then you're not spending any time really stressing your brain and taxing your resources. So you're not expanding your capacity to do so. So do spend some of your time consuming easier information. I think that's a really good way to cast the net pretty wide, but also have a healthy amount of time dedicated to more deep inquiry and more time dedicated to focusing intently on a single more deep resource. Yeah. And I suppose as an aside... I read a lot of uh, philosophy, sort of how to figure out what you want to do kind of things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I read those books, not because what the words in there, the words aren't going to help me learn something new. I basically will be like, yeah, I know that. But sometimes seeing the words in a specific way from a specific person will inspire or motivate me to do things. Yeah. So I'll read That's this, very true. even though I have all the information, but when I read this person talk about it, it reminds me of why I like that information so much. Mm -hmm. And it, it inspires me to do some cool stuff for like the next week or two. Yeah. Right now I'm reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, who was um, the Roman emperor from, I think, 161 to 180 CE. And I'm in the introduction right now. So I haven't actually gotten much into his actual writing. I've skimmed through it. I've read a few little bits and pieces here, but I haven't had it you know, turn the page by page kind of thing. So right now I'm reading the translator's essentially introduction to this. And one thing he mentions, number one, is that most of meditations, in fact, I think all of it, is self-addressed and was never really intended for publication. So it's more him telling himself things instead of trying to tell other people things. But he also notes that there's this focus on reminders, on constant reminders, on having just these tenets that he lives by present in present in his mind, in his realm of focus all the time and coming back to them again and again. So I think about that a lot because I think sometimes there's this focus on only wanting to expose ourselves to new information. I've already learned that time to move on to something else. I don't want to waste my time repeating things, but I think there's a real value in having things repeated to you, especially when they come from different sources, which is a constant source of frustration for my girlfriend because she will tell me to do something and I'll completely ignore her. And then oh. a week later, uh -oh. some internet friend or you will tell me the same thing. And I'll go, oh, yeah, that is a good idea. And I then I'll go do it. the same exact thing with <laughs> Ashley all the time. And I'm like, well, I needed him to say it in those words of my own volition looking mm -hmm. for them. Yeah. Then, then it, I know what you're saying is true, but I didn't know, know it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and maybe it's the fact that your girlfriend is always there. You're always hanging out with her. Uh, she's basically a constant in your everyday life. And then somebody else who's kind of removed from your everyday situation, who maybe embodies a quality of something you aspire to, telling you that same thing. Well, now that's connected to a little bit of ambition, a little bit of drive to move forward yeah. and get to and, where they maybe are. Maybe they had a know? good anecdote or they yeah. wrote like an essay explaining the piece. Mm -hmm. Whereas just one of my friends or my girlfriend telling me, hey, you should do this. They didn't write me a cool essay that motivated me to understand it. Yeah. They just gave me facts, and sometimes that's not enough to get you going, or we we all know basically what to do to be successful. We just need to be motivated to do it, and that's the hard part. Yeah, exactly. So digging into nonfiction, digging into heavier pieces of work just gives you more opportunities to 
come across information stated in a different way, you know? And I think they're just, maybe there's a bit of a focus, like too heavy of a focus on racing through as much information as fast as you can. Yeah. We have to get a million achievements by the time mm-hmm. the year ends. Have I read enough books? Yeah. Have I read enough books? Have I, have I gotten to where I was supposed to get? And to a degree, this ambition is good, but I do think that sometimes it might lead us to gloss over what we're trying to learn and to not think about it deeply enough and to reflect on it. Yeah. You know, I used to have this problem with video games, actually, because I made them a checklist. I was trying to beat them all. Oh, so yeah. I, like, wouldn't even go through things that I thought were fun side quests because I'd be like, I want to beat this. I'm trying mm-hmm. to beat it. It's a, it's a checklist. I don't think books should just be a checklist either, or really most things. You yeah. Can, you can enjoy things a lot more if you're not racing. Yeah, and earlier you were telling me about that pendulum yeah. concept you had where oh, it's yeah. this this constant back and forth between my life is too open, too airy, I have too much freedom, and I don't feel like I'm going anywhere, I don't feel like I have direction, or I'm super stressed out, I have too much to do, I am in a time crunch constantly, have no free time. And I think there's a similar pendulum between being ambitious and wanting to get through books or games or movies or whatever it is, uh, and that's embodied by things like having a daily page goal, which keeps you moving along. And over on the other extreme, you have meditating on things and reflecting on things a lot, but you're not progressing enough. You're just kind of staying stagnant. So it's another constant struggle, I think, yeah, to be in a place of equilibrium where you're spending the requisite amount of time to really get the value out of what you're reading, but you're also progressing through enough that you're satisfied with your pace. Yeah. All, all of which is to say that this question or the answer to this question will not get you into a perfect place because yeah. there, there is no perfect middle that we can achieve. Right, I granted, think. if you have a lot of problems with this, maybe Blinkist, the topics you don't care about, but mm-hmm. want to learn and then read the books for the topics where you're like, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a way to do it. And that's why I like I mean, it as Blinkist, a way to vet things. Blinkist perfectly answers like the purpose of this reader's question mm-hmm. is I don't, I don't feel like I should have to do this anymore. Well, there you go. That's the answer. Yeah. Or another way. Um, and I guess I'll mention this up front. I use Blinkist and we also have an affiliate deal with them. So we have a link in the show notes, but I think it's just collegeofwicked.com slash go slash Blinkist if you want to get, I think you can get 20% off for that. But that's not the only method of doing this. Uh, I know one of our friends will just read a random Wikipedia article every single day. Really? So that's a way to do it. A complete like hit random? Just read it? It's Aaron, so I'm not exactly sure. You know what? That makes sense. I've hit random on Wikipedia and I'll get something completely banal and i'm just like that's i don't want to do that i could but still see i think he does actually you know what i think what he used that's to a do amount of breath i think wikipedia used to have like a featured article of the day and they, they probably still do and i think that's what he read okay. so instead of just hitting totally random it was just a curated random but that's a way of building a wide like shallow pool of knowledge you just got to make sure to go deep as well yeah yeah so that link will be in the show notes we need to find ourselves another lame villain Man, I love the football one, though. Uh, the football one was pretty great. Okay, this is... I, I'm going to go with this one, but I'm going to contest it. So they have listed Squirrel Girl... I don't know if that's accurate. ...as one of the lamest villains, and they're wrong because Squirrel Girl is actually the most powerful superhero in the entire universe. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure she's beaten the Hulk and <laughs> basically every other super powerful being. So shout out to Squirrel Girl. I'm sorry they're disrespecting you like this. Yeah, but we'll go we'll go with her for the second one. So the second question is I get motivated right before going to sleep and it doesn't carry over the next day when I wake up. What should I do? Yeah, so, so. I think this person might be a wolf Ooh, to use maybe. the uh, vernacular from the science behind getting better sleep episode. And I I can completely empathize with this person. And it sucks for me because I don't know about you, but I'm a lion I'm an early bird. I like to get up early, but I also get surges of motivation at night. Yeah. And I don't really know what to do about that. Last night, I just used it and I stayed up from, I think it was 830 to midnight straight, just working like a machine. And I think today has been, today's been pretty good in terms of productivity so far, but nothing like last night. 
Last yeah. night was like laser focused. And today I've been doing a little work and maybe I'll get distracted, check my email or do something else. And I've been progressing. But last night I was like Terminator levels. So I never know what to do with this because I like to get up early. I don't like to sleep in, but I also sometimes get huge bursts of motivation at night. Yeah, I basically have the same thing because I need to wake up early to feel good. Mm-hmm. I just started waking up at six again, and it ironically makes me feel more awake, even though I'm getting slightly less sleep and I feel much better waking up at six. Yeah. But when I do get motivated at night, I've done 12 hour coding sprints <laughs> where I finished an entire ridiculous, huge thing, just like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and it was absurd. But so sometimes when I get these motivations, I'll just say, eh, I don't need to sleep. I'm doing it. I woke up at 4 a.m. once with the inspiration to write an article for College Info Geek a long time ago, and I couldn't get back to sleep, so I just did it. I just wrote the article in the middle of the night. Nobody else is there. And I guess for other things, I I would try to leave a note or something in your phone or something that you're going to see right in the morning that will inspire you to do it again. And if you can, it might be easier to do that immediately before other stuff. I realize that's not always plausible. Yeah. But the more stuff you do in your day, the more chores and like obligations you go through, the less likely it is you're going to retain your motivation. You're going to be like, "Eh, I've done all this work today. I kind of just want to relax now. Mm -hmm. And you'll be waiting for the motivation to come back. Yeah. I've definitely had times like you had in fact, the the entire third redesign of College of Geek was done in one night. Hmm. And I didn't even, this is the beautiful thing. And I think this is the beautiful thing about just doing little experiments and playing around with things. I didn't even plan on redesigning it. It was probably 9 p.m. on, I think it's like a Tuesday night. It wasn't even a, a weekend. And I was just looking at the old site and I was like, what if I made this little tweak to the logo? And I just started playing with things in Photoshop and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to redesign the site the right now. <laughs> so I went and found a new theme and I spent the entire night completely gutting it and recoding it, stripping it of all the things I didn't like. Nice. And it, I, I remember looking at the clock and I was like, oh my gosh, it's 6 a.m. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah, but that's great though. So Those I was, moments feel wonderful. I know, right? Just the, I don't know, when you're like stay up and you're just super in the zone, you completely lose track of time. And all of a sudden you've just created something you're super proud of. It's like yeah. one of the greatest so feelings. Occasionally, I love it. Just go for it. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. You do, you do need sleep, but occasionally <laughs> it feels great to just go for it. But you really got to try to either do it right then or find a way or write a few sentences about how you're feeling about it. This is why I'm excited. I'm really excited because I'm imagining that I'm going to be doing this cool thing this time next semester. And yeah. here's why I should start going to the gym tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that, if you don't capture the emotion that's exciting you, it's so, so easy to say, well, I don't know. I got really busy today. I'm excited to start tomorrow and then just do that every day. Yeah. That's absurdly easy to do. So maybe writing down your emotions to re-excite you Mm -hmm. will help. And in that vein, I have two additional tips to tack on. So number one, in addition to writing down how you're feeling, I write down at the end of each day what I'm going to do the next day. I try to make my task list on that whiteboard before I go to bed because I find that when I wake up, you know, we've talked about CEO mode versus robot mode before, right? Yeah. Where, you know, planning CEO mode, you're sitting down, you're figuring out what you're going to do. That's one mode of thinking, one mode of having your brain. And then the other mode is where you just put into action your plans. And I find that it's kind of tough to switch over from one to the other. So I just try to eliminate that switch over by doing my CEO mode at night plan out what I'm going to do. And then when I wake up, I basically have the mission in my head. And I also feel somewhat beholden to my previous self because I'm no longer hemming and hawing and trying to, you know, my, my lazy brain is negotiating with my working brain being like, let's do this easy thing first. I know that last night I planned these things out knowing that I was going to go to sleep. So there were hardly any excuses or procrastination. And now I've woken up and it's ready to go. And then the other thing is I will try to eliminate anything that will derail me or that will cause resistance for getting back into work. And this is especially true with like working out because sometimes it'll be night and I'm really, really gung-ho to go lift, but I know I can't do it until the next day. So I'll lay out my gym clothes and I'll make sure my water bottle is filled up. I'll make sure I have my iPod armband thing out. So I know there's, there's nothing I can lose or not have to make an excuse to not go. 
And then the last thing, and I don't think we mentioned this, but if you have the ability, try changing up your sleep schedule. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I guess you mentioned the wolf thing that, mm-hmm. that definitely should bring that into focus. Yeah. I know you're you're a person that likes to wake up early in the morning. I am. But it's worth seeing. Do I just work better from nine to one in the morning? And if you can if you're OK with getting up a little later, if your schedule works that way or if you can move classes around. Boom. There you go. Yeah. Maybe you can actually just switch your day around. I, I'm actually really liking. So iOS 10 just came out. And I don't know if I showed you the clock app has this bedtime function so I can move my little bedtime thing so I can keep it at seven hours of sleep, but I can move it to different time so I can be like, okay, I'm going to go to bed at 11 and it says, all right, you're going to get up at six or I want to go to bed at one. All right, you're going to get up at eight. That's cool. And it will automatically do an alarm. You get the right number of hours no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool because Mm -hmm. it gives you a bedtime reminder. So you can set it to like 15 minutes before bed or 30 minutes before bed. It'll tell you, hey, it's time to get ready to go to bed, which gives you time to do your night routine, however long it is. And then at seven o'clock or whenever your wake up time is, they have a selection of wake up songs that start really, really quiet and then they get louder and louder. So it's this nice, gradual kind of peaceful waking. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like how my alarm works. It's really nice. Yeah. You still use that Sun yep. one? What's the, this Philips one? I I think so. I don't really remember the name of my alarm clock, but it's the one that's it's got like a sunrise kind of effect mm-hmm. where it starts out with this very dim reddish light and it get, becomes a very bright orange yellow over the course of a half hour. And then I wake up at the half hour. That's when the sound starts. Although a lot of times I'll wake up very naturally to the light before the half hour. And Interesting. I'll, just, I'll feel great. So you don't need the sound a lot of the time to wake up. Yeah, because the light, it's like the sun rising, and that's a fairly natural time to wake up, I would think. But I got it because I hated getting up in winter because it was dark and cold and I had no motivation to move. Oh, yeah. So simulating a little bit of sunlight made me feel a little less annoyed that I was getting up when it was still dark. That's true. And I, I remember that that alarm clock's pretty pricey, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's like, it's like 100 or something. But more. it is cheaper than moving to the equator and buying a farm with a rooster to wake you up yeah, in the morning. Wake up much better for the winter. So for me, it was worth it. But I mean, I had the extra money to throw at a weird alarm clock to wake up better. Yeah. What are you going to do? But I like it. And the waking up slowly concept in the on the iPhone, now that's just there. Yeah, I do like that. You don't need to buy a fancy alarm for that. I found that there's a balance. I don't like being jarred out of my sleep by some crazy alarm. But I do try to get out of bed as soon as I can when I wake up. Yeah. Which prevents me from hitting the sleep, the snooze button. So we got our next question coming up. Who do we got? Uh, I don't know, but whoever it is, it's <laughs> Wizard. Wizard? Robert like, Frank is like, unfortunately. Like wizard? It's, wizard? It's Wizard. Okay. Like, what is that? He's got like a yellow suit. It's just good. What is this? Uh, Robert Frank is unfortunately bitten by a cobra whilst in Africa with his father, Dr. Emil Frank. Now, obviously, the world-renowned, uber-brilliant doctor that he is, Dr. Frank throws medicine to the wind and saves Robert by transfusing him with with mongoose blood. (laughs) He soon discovers that Robert has developed super speed. Then Robert dresses in a tight canary yellow spandex outfit and wears headgear with wings, also in canary yellow. So we got canaries, cobras, and mongooses. (laughs) And a fast guy. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Great job, Al Avison. This is this is a superhero from the 1940s. So I guess we have to cut him a little bit of slack. I'll cut him some slack only because it's like half of comic book heroes, villains, and characters are really dumb. It's true. So they are all pretty dumb. What are you going to do? We're only at number 20. Yeah. How Just how dumb can this get? Anyway, Wizard asks, how do I know which resources on the internet are trustworthy when doing research for classes? Good question. I like to use Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, I mean, but legitimately. They, they cite things, though, so you go right to the bottom. The, yeah, you go right to the bottom. You can see the citations. They're not always still online, which really annoys me sometimes because I'll be really into an article, and then I'll go down to the citation, and it's been taken off the Internet, so then I'll have to go look on the Internet Archive or something to see if there's a cached version. Yeah. But Wikipedia is often where I'll start my researching for a video. Because they have just an incredibly tenacious community of editors who are very good at catching errors and also like the trolls who will just put false stuff in there. They're pretty good at catching that stuff. 
most of the time. And yeah, usually it's a good place to find actual scientific articles. I'll find a lot of stuff on PubMed, which is a public database of scientific papers. You don't, you don't always have access to the full papers, but you do at least have access to the abstracts, which will tell you the gist of, uh, of the results. So not always perfect, but it is something. Yeah. And then I just, I feel like there's this sixth sense almost on the internet and it's not foolproof. I don't want to go about saying like, just because the site's design is nice or the author writes in a certain tone, you can absolutely trust it. But once you've been on the internet for a while, there's just like, you have this degree of confidence in a certain source. Yeah, there are some telltale signs Mm -hmm. for something that's a little off and probably nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't even know how to say them, but you feel them. Yeah, you just feel them, right? You know, like... Is there like an extension or something that... I don't don't know if there is. That would be cool. That would be cool. That would be cool if it was just like, this site's fine. Look, if there's there's like like an article linked in the sidebar where the Queen of England is riding a giant eagle... And the headline is Queen of England initiates new death from the skies campaign to take out UK's criminals. Maybe not a trustworthy site. Yeah. You know, and (laughs) that sounds like a great site to me. Yeah. I want to visit that site every day, make it in my homepage, but I wouldn't cite it, you know? So I think you can, you can take certain factors that will increase your confidence in a certain source. If the journalist is a reputable person who has, you know, a good social media following and they cite their sources and they're linking back to scientific studies or they're linking back to press releases from large companies. Um, of course, in that case, then you have to worry about conflict of interest. But, you know, there's just factors. Well, you know, for an essay, I don't know that they're going to question you on conflict of interest. So maybe sometimes yeah. uh, just, just go for it. Jimmy, I gave you an F on your your essay about hydration because you cited a study that was funded by Gatorade. So you're flunking out of seventh grade. Yeah. Back to sixth grade. Maybe, maybe that's important for science and stuff, but I bet for at least for the purpose of papers and stuff, if it's a subject you don't care about, it's probably okay. But Wikipedia cites a lot of things Mm -hmm. and that's where I would definitely start. But also books, you know, yeah, books are great. You know, Those they go pretty, through a more rigorous editorial those. process. You can cite books at work. So books are helpful. And if you have an article that does cite a book from a reputable author or from a large publisher, you're usually better off than not with those kind of things. And if you are in school or if you're in college, you probably have access to legitimate academic research databases. Oh, yeah. So you can get access to a lot of stuff there. And if you have a university library, like we did, and I guess we still technically do half an hour off the road, we have two million books worth of so research. I think, yeah, I think Iowa State's library has two million books. That's which, a lot. having never been to another huge university library, I was always convinced that that must be one of the biggest libraries in the world. And then I learned the Library of Congress has, I think, 18 million books or something like that. So... Yeah. I want to go there now, but yeah, I guess Iowa State's library is uh, comparatively tiny, (laughs) even though it is, what, five main floors and then seven additional floors in the old building. Yeah, so the Library of Congress. A bunch of little libraries all across campus. Yeah, so I I want to see how big this library is, if it is nine times bigger than ours. But yeah, I guess that's that's a good way. I I think I actually answered this question in the Reddit. So another way you can do it is if you can find multiple sources that are citing the same information, then again, you have a higher likelihood of it being true. And I feel like this is one of those questions where anything I say, there can be a gotcha. Yeah. Because I'm immediately coming up with with counter arguments. Well, if multiple sources are citing something, how do you know they're not all using the same flawed original source? Blah, 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 blah. So... I can't give a perfect answer you, here. You I don't don't there's, a, there's a way to do it. Really? I mean, there, I don't know if there's a perfect metric for, can I trust this human? I don't mm-hmm. know. You just kind of have to decide for yourself. And whether your professor trusts that human is also pretty important in this particular situation. Yeah. Yeah. One very important thing to note here is that uh, analysis paralysis is a very real threat. Ooh. And you simply, 
you have to make educated guesses. You have to have, you have to put a certain amount of confidence in your sources and you have to be okay with the possibility that you may be wrong. I mean, that is the entire central tenet of science is we come to conclusions based on the evidence we have. And if that evidence is proven wrong later on, we edit our beliefs to match the new evidence if it is compelling enough. So you can kind of take that same philosophy and apply it to the way that you read information online. So apply scrutiny, try to verify what you're reading from multiple sources, try to have as as much confidence in your sources as possible and use the best sources that you know how to access. But also at the end of the day, you're just gonna have to take what you have at some point. And when you're writing, maybe you can communicate your degree of confidence. You know, this source says this, there are conflicting reports or there's a lack of evidence, or there's a lack of scholarly journals that have talked about this topic. Actually, this makes me remember, I did a video on binaural beats and other music that is purported to help your brain in certain ways. Yeah. That was the hardest video I've ever done. The editing isn't crazy. The editing didn't take me long, very long to do, but I spent two full weeks researching that video pouring through scientific studies i had an hour-long conversation on the phone with a neuroscientist at northwestern (laughs) university and then questioning that because he's on the advisory board for brain.fm which makes money through that and then like there's all these anecdotal reports you think brain.fm is useful i thought it was useful but i kind of fell off of it there's like it was one of the most confusing topics i have ever tried to research so i was like in the thick of this problem like what do i do what do i say and I mean, you, you can go watch my video. I think I communicated it as honestly as I could and basically came to the conclusion of we don't really know. There are some scientific studies that say there are some benefits based on their samples, but usually the sample sizes are small in any case. There are some studies that say no benefit. And then you've got people on all sides with their anecdotal reports. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no information is perfect. It's you tough. just got to pick who to trust at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Usually well put together sites with good grammar and they've got good social media presence. They're, they've mm-hmm. got their authors very blatantly out there. I'm the author. I write stuff. Yeah. If you've got authors with a social media presence, then I don't know of a better way to put this. The publication is kind of putting their balls on the line. <laughs> Whereas if it's just like some dude on 4chan being like, yeah, yo, like, my dad works at Nintendo and I have an early copy of the Wii 3 and I'm telling you, Halo 5 is coming out as a Wii 3 exclusive. Like, there's no recourse for them being wrong, you know? Yeah, so if they're if they're willing to associate their information with their public name, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something. They're at least standing by their word. They're standing by what they say. I mean, unless... <laughs> I guess we have a certain political candidate who's throw that out the window, but yeah, <laughs> they're at least tying their words to their name, writing it in ink on the internet and standing by them for the most part. And that implies a certain degree of trust. Doesn't mean they're infallible, but at least means that there's a lesser percent chance that they are actively lying to you. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see, I it's, like like... How it's both a percent and usually you had to use two. You had to use two. I'm going to minimize the strength of this sentence. <laughs> it's impossible. Phrases. It's like looking at food <laughs> research. Are eggs good for you or horrible oh for my you? God. I have no idea because I've found really good articles on every side of that. And I just decided I don't care. I can't do this anymore. Food research Leave is the alone. worst. You just, you're just picking who to trust. You have no idea. I'm not a food scientist. I can't verify anything. I don't know. I'm just picking someone I think sounds smart and trusting them, I guess. Yeah. I read a book. Back when I did my reading challenge, I read a book called Good Calories, Bad Calories. And before I read it, I looked at the reviews on Amazon. It's like five stars by thousands of people. Ridiculously well-reviewed book. I read it. It's like 500 pages of ultra-dense material that just cites study after study after study. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is really good information. And then I go online after I'm done reading it. And there's a couple of nutritionists that just have point by point breakdowns of all the problems and <laughs> why half of the author's main conclusions are shaky at best and why a bunch of these studies were funded by interested parties that had a conflict of interest or their sample sizes were bad or there's like a known psychological problem with the people in the study. So 
You just yeah. never know. Oh, you know what? Just that brings know. up something that's almost related to the first question. If you are going to read nonfiction and it's a like a complicated topic like that, reading a bunch of books on that topic is helpful mm -hmm. because that way you can start to form your own opinions about what makes sense. Because if you don't do that, you're probably just trusting whatever the last book you happen to have read was. That's very true. You have no alternate opinions, so you're just like, I guess that sounded smart. It's true now. Mm -hmm. Yay. But maybe you read three other books, and the average of those books says a couple of those points are a little shaky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I actually think that was a good thing that I read that book, because even if some of its conclusions are incorrect or they use shaky science, it at least got me interested enough to go look up dissenting opinions. And I feel like I've read enough now that rather than being mired in the controversy and the details, I've started to form some solid conclusions of my own that are based on some scientific facts. And sure, I'm not an expert. I'm not solid on every single thing they argued, but I feel like I'm much more knowledgeable than I started out. And my knowledge isn't based entirely on one person's bias. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that was the most wishy-washy, non-committal answer well, but I now, think there were a few helpful things in there. It's up to you whether you're willing to cite that answer. If you <laughs> <laughs> Why were you okay with citing this on your on your essay, Jimmy? Well, these two guys in this podcast, they spent about 17 minutes saying essentially nothing. So, what I took <laughs> so from we that were, is we that citing citing the onion is okay. Hey, because it, hey, it looked trustworthy. Scientists are wrong. Yeah. The people on the onion, they have social media presences. That's true. Clearly correct information <laughs> all right our next superhero is the almighty dollar what that's very deep <laughs> i guess does he have a violin this was the crime fighting buddy of the nfl super pro no the, the violin guy is the fiddler and he is also very stupid uh let's see here that power this dude actually had some power but that power was the ability to shoot pennies from his hands so it was like American capitalism, the superhero <laughs> team, dollars and football. That's I, Yep, <laughs> I guess. That's beautiful. All right, Almighty Dollar. On that note, there's a band called the Almighty Dollar, I think. Or is it the American Dollar? It might wow. be called the American Dollar now that well, I'm thinking Well, you must it. be a big fan. The American Dollar. Uh, yeah, okay, it's the American Dollar. If you're looking for some study music, these guys, these guys are good. Really? Yes. Uh, their album Signaling Through the Flames, I really like. And I think I have at least one of their tracks on my Ultimate Study Music playlist. But go check them out. Noted. They do some good instrumental rock. Anyway, Almighty Dollar, his question is, how can I find more time to read? I can't seem to find the right time or place. So when you get up and read, where do you like to do so? And how do you find more time? Good question. I read in coffee shops, pretty much. Because I find that when I read here, there's just so many distractions and I have all these cool posters on the wall and I find myself daydreaming. And if I read in Starbucks and I find myself daydreaming, I'll probably catch myself sooner because I'm now staring at someone and they're giving me a weird look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't daydream while staring at the page. I usually look up and then I'll stare off into space. And if I'm in my room, I can do that for half an hour. But if I'm in Starbucks, the barista is like, do you do you want another latte sir or do i need to call the police on you so yeah i usually get back to reading a little bit quicker with uh, reading in the coffee shop and i think the best way to have more time to read is to commit to reading i mean this is from personal experience i did that three-month reading challenge where i i committed to reading 25 pages a day otherwise i would lose a hundred dollars to it. martin and i did it I read over 3,000 pages in three months. I think it amounted to either 11 or 14 books. Can't remember the number. but And since then, I've read maybe one or two books. And it's been an additional three months, <laughs> yeah. I think. So the way in which you get time to read is you make time to read. And you do that by committing to reading. Yeah. That's and, what I have to say on it. And I think that... I mean, I used to read in places just like in my car or on a park bench during my lunch break, and I read with some some fitting instrumentals. Like if I'm reading a book that's fantasy, I'll have some cool fantasy sound and instrumentals in my noise-canceling headphones to mm -hmm. immerse me in the story. But those are a side thing because I think the biggest problem here is just don't don't overthink it. Sometimes you just need to start reading a few pages 
before yeah. you start getting into it because so I was going to finish the wise man's sphere. I was like 40 minutes away from it and I really wanted to have it and I built it up to be this biggest the biggest most emotional dramatic thing where I needed to sit down and have perfect quiet and perfect focus and perfect everything. And because I did that, I never had time to do it and I ended up reading an entire extra book while waiting for the perfect time <laughs> to finish 40 minutes of one book because I put so much pressure on it being the right environment and the right time. And I did the same thing. I'm doing the same thing right now. I, I do it with albums. So the Radiohead uh, album that came out in May, I bought it in May and I still haven't heard it because I've been like, I need the right moment so I can just sit there and intake it. I do that so much. And you just, you're never going to do it. You're never going to have a perfect time because the longer you put it off like that, the more important and dramatic it becomes. Yeah. So do you, uh, even harder. Do you do that with games? Yeah. Because I, I, I do it with games. I'll look at a game. It's bad. Like, oh, I think Uncharted 3 was one of these. Where I'm like, Uncharted 3 is supposed to be the best game in this genre. I'm really excited to play it. I'm just too busy but, right oh, now, right? Yeah. I, I really need the perfect moment. And then I'm finding myself like play some crappy game. Because that's easier to get into, right? It's like, yeah, well, I'm going to have a look no at what pressure. else is. There's oh, no pressure. Yeah. So literally 40 minutes away from finishing <laughs> The Wise Man's Fear, and I was so excited about it, I reread one of the Harry Potters entirely waiting for the perfect moment to finish like a very small part of a book i finished mm -hmm. a book in entirety so clearly i had the time i was just overthinking it it's like your it's like analysis paralysis uh, for your media summit book or something yeah um i bought like all of neil stevenson's back catalog at one point so i've got cryptonomicon the entire baroque cycle and anathem just sitting on the shelf five books that i really want to read and i've had them on there for like two years yeah. Yeah. And I, and I have I a bunch of books in there too like that. Like I'm so excited to read these books when it's the right time in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not the right time right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I started Cryptonomicon, got maybe a hundred pages into it and then stopped and read a bunch of easier books that didn't seem as important. And it's been two years. Yeah. So yeah, I guess so. that's another thing you have to do is don't let the amazingness yeah, of a certain piece of media analysis paralysis for your media mm -hmm. don't don't do it yeah. i mean i do it obviously sometimes but i try not to but seriously if you're listening to this and this is your problem find a friend who will keep you accountable and who doesn't actually want to steal your money bet them a hundred dollars that you're going to read 10 pages a day for the next month like do that yeah and then don't give them a hundred dollars because you actually read that's yeah, what will and, happen. And it's easy to be like, well, I don't have $100. I don't want to, I can't spend that right now. Don't lose. Yeah, just, don't lose. Just do the reading. Uh, Nick Winter, the guy who wrote The Motivation Hacker, he, so he used Beeminder for this instead of oh, yeah. betting with a friend. But I think in the, in the book he mentioned that his entire net worth was $15,000. So he bet literally half of it in Beeminder that he would finish his book. And I, I think Beeminder's input-based goals. So it was like, I will write X number of pages a day instead of I will finish a book by this date. So yeah. I will put the work in basically. And I think that's, if you're going to put a lot of money on the line, then do it for an input based goal where you can just say, I put the work in, you know, cause something crazy could happen and you don't get the book finished or, or you could rush to get it finished. But if it's just work, do the work, you know, then you're good. And then I think he put the other half on betting himself that he would go skydiving so literally all his money. Yeah, and he did. He bet it, and he did, did them he both. Not? Yeah, I read the book. He made so them happen. It's real. <laughs> he made it happen. So, and you know what? When I say things like, "Oh, I bet a hundred dollars," you know, um, sometimes I get excuses from people saying, "Well, I don't have a hundred dollars," and it's like, okay, if you wanted it that bad, your reaction would not be, "I don't have a hundred dollars." Your reaction would be, lose. "Yeah, well, no, even that." Your reaction would be, "Okay, how can I use that?" A method with a proven track record how can i adapt it for my needs well if i only have a hundred dollars to my name maybe i'll bet 20 oh yeah or 10 true. or something you know you just change the goalposts a little bit to make it work for you but you know i always get a little bit discouraged when people make excuses because i don't think the money is the root of the problem i think the root of the problem is they want something but they don't want it bad enough number one to just get up and do the work but number two to set up the systems that will make them do the work so yeah and definitely make it input based if you're going to do that because if you're like i'm going to finish one book a month one that discourages you from reading an extraordinarily big book that maybe you wanted to read but you're not going to be able to finish it in the time limit mm -hmm. so you'll 
you'll kind of cut down what books you're allowed to read. But two, you'll probably just end up reading that book in the last week of the month because procrastination yeah. is bad. Whereas oh, reading yeah. 20 pages a day, you can't procrastinate. You just have to do it today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, daily or at least very regular milestone, I think, is very good to have. Yeah. Otherwise, you know me. Um, I think at risk of embarrassing myself, I was literally working on the majority of my my presentation at FinCon in the last couple of days. Yeah, before right, it. right before it. <laughs> and it turned out good. You know, people found it useful, but I have a really tough time doing projects before it's like crunch time. I am like a total procrastination deadline motivated kind of person. So the solution for that is not to say, oh, this time I'll be regular with my efforts and I'll get things done ahead of time. You know, this time's going to be different. That's not the answer. The answer is to know myself. I know I'm like this. I know I'm a serial procrastinator and to set up systems that make me work the way I want to work within the system. So, well, if I'm going to procrastinate, okay, the deadline is every day. And the punishment if I don't do it every day is I lose money and I have to tell the entire internet that I failed. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. More than I want to procrastinate. So last question. Got to find ourselves another lame superhero. And yep, this is going to be the one. What is that? Because number 17, Bouncing Boy, (laughs) is quite possibly the lamest thing I've seen on this list. I like it, though. (laughs) There's not really much of this character. He looks heroic. (laughs) He doesn't look heroic at all. He looks so heroic. He looks like a weird penguin man or something, but even more than the penguin. Yeah. Let's see here. They say there's really not much of this character past the fact that he can inflate and bounce. Yes. Inflate and bounce like a giant sentient beach ball. I feel like (laughs) there are a lot of super villains or heroes that aren't going to be that hurt by that. They're just going to... You're just a bouncing human. Yeah, what are you going to do? That's not that power. You're not bouncing and made of adamantium or something. You're just bouncing in human. Just bounce. Hey, you can bounce away from danger. That's true, I guess. You're super coward. Maybe he's just fun at parties or something. Oh, there's there's some good ones in here. I can't wait for our next five questions. Oh, yeah. We got some some I'm pretty excited. good ones in here. Literally a golfing superhero. <laughs> so I'll spoil one right there. <laughs> Comics are great. <laughs> anyway, last question from Bouncing Boy. Is uh, if someone throws off or not something, if something throws off my schedule in the morning, I have a hard time bouncing back and it messes with me all day. So how can I recover from a setback and get back to a productive mindset? So basically the question is what happens when I derail? That's what I like to call this. And I'm, I want to put this to the entire day actually, because I don't know about you, but I get derailed during the day, not just in the morning. Oh Yeah. It can happen at any time, really. Um, you know, and it happens in the morning, which is why I talked about the the importance of setting out my gym clothes and making sure I have all my stuff, all my gear laid out, and therefore there's like no excuse when I wake up in the morning. But if I do get derailed, typically what I will do, number one, I will try to take a break, like a short one, and usually I like to go outside. Uh, and I'm very, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the winter because it makes it harder to go outside and take breaks that are actually enjoyable. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. Dang it, Iowa. But it's coming. It does help to go outside. I usually take a walk, just kind of resets my brain and also gives me a bit of a boost of energy. And then I'll come back and I will write down on my whiteboard or on a piece of paper the task that I'm doing. And I do a Pomodoro session. And I find that a Pomodoro session is just like this perfect block of time and this perfect commitment device to get me into one specific task. And it usually gets me back into the flow of things. All right. Now, that works if you have if you have the time to do the stuff. But I've had some days where I've got the time blocked out, the hours mm-hmm. and stuff, and it's almost like a school schedule. You know, you got classes. So basically, if I get thrown off in the morning and I don't have the time to redo what I was doing for my first block, let's say I'm trying to exercise. I don't have time to get my full exercise routine in for some reason. Sometimes, if it's not that important, if it's a day where I'm just doing stretches or something for my arms, I will just kind of call it a wash, push that thing to the end of my schedule, take a break, go outside, drink some water or something, and then start fresh with the next thing. Because otherwise, if I push back that first one and it takes too much time, I'm going to be late on everything all day. I will feel off the entire day. 
Whereas if I just push that thing to the end, I can feel normal and back to what I was doing for the mm. other things I have to do. And then I just make up one thing later. I'm not late for eight things. That makes sense. And I went to a speaking session or I got, it was a learning session at FinCon by my friend, Mike Vardy, who has been on the podcast. He's a productivity guy. And he said he was talking about people who do schedule out their entire days. And this is actually one of the problems with scheduling out your entire day, where if you get behind on one thing, there's this tendency to just push everything back and back and back and forth. So your solution definitely works where you just kind of call that one thing a wash, maybe slot that into the next day and then move on with the rest of your pre-planned schedule. Yeah, I don't want to feel bad all day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel guilty the whole time. He also talked about thinking of things in a a task-based context rather than a time-based context. So it's just, I'm working on this until it's done and then I'm moving on to this. And he paired that with an idea of having themed days so maybe for you, Monday would be web dev day, and then Tuesday is podcast editing day, etc. You know, I've that way you can kind of get into never mode. Actually tried it. Mm-hmm. It's it sounds cool, but I've just never tried it. You should have seen Anna sitting next to me. She was just like taking notes like furiously, and she was basically <laughs> mind blown. Uh, and I was sitting there, you know, like we said earlier about one person in your life telling you something and you ignoring it until someone else tells you. I'm just sitting there like, man, I keep telling Anna about productivity stuff all the time. And she always just gets yeah. annoyed and doesn't want to hear it. It's really and easy then... to ignore the people close to us, ironically, <laughs> because we're just like, I know you. You're just saying that you didn't. Yeah. Whatever. And then Mike does his presentation and she's like, this is exactly what I needed. <laughs> uh, and she really liked the, the theme day concept. So which yeah. I have, have not to told her about. Shot. Yeah, I used to try to do it. I used to have theme days. I think it was when we back when we lived back in the old apartments. Remember, I had that big whiteboard out in the living room area, yeah, and there was yeah. the the columns, and it was like, all right, the writing day, podcast day, video editing day, and it'd be cool if I could get back into that. Well, I considered doing it for like habits, where I was going to have one day where I just read a ton, mm-hmm. and then the next day I was just going to work a ton, and then the next day I was going to do whatever, do a ton of Spanish. But there's always something where I'm like three days into it I'm, i feel guilty for not doing one of the things oh so yeah i can't keep it up maybe maybe i'll look at it look so at for you it's better to do a little bit of everything every day or every other day well, you're saying oh man see i think that and then i do it and i did it for like <laughs> two months i did it for two months and that was a great two months mm-hmm. but eventually it gets to me and i start feeling like every day is a monotonous checklist like i'm a robot and i'm like what's what's my life like is it just a bunch of check boxes and i have an existential crisis and then I have to, <laughs> it's like that pendulum. I'm constantly, I got like a two month clock where I switch everything and I change how I work and it keeps things fresh. It's like a new semester, which I don't get anymore. I'm not in school. That's so I, true. I make it myself and I say, this is my new schedule for this semester of Martin. Mm-hmm. I can't help myself. I think the theme of this episode is embrace the pendulum. Embrace the pendulum. Mm. Hashtag that, everybody. There you go. Yeah. Hashtag embrace the pendulum. Also, pendulum is another good band. Oh, well, they're like a drum and well, bass. There you go. They're pretty good. Uh, yeah, but I think that's a good thing to think about because we often think that we're supposed to just linearly get better and better over time with productivity or anything else, and that's not usually how it works. No, I don't feel. And I'm just switching my stuff every two months. Yeah, it I've works. just embraced it. If you get a good productive two months. And then you have to switch it to get another productive two months. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. Though I can't, I can't switch quite as easily as you can, because I've. I'm really willing to throw everything away. And start <laughs> over. Well, I would have to be like, "Hey, Anna and Ransom and Martin and Stefano, oh, uh, we're all changing okay, to a new so, productivity so system." So it would be much harder to do that for a group task management thing. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah, but for uh, personal so stuff. So we are sticking with it, and I will just tweak it and make it better, but still use it. But yeah, I mean, everyone can take everyone can take what's in that system and then move it over to a personal thing, which works yeah. pretty well. I'm actually using Wonderlist right now for a, one specific project. Yeah, and it's great. I'm sticking stuff on a whiteboard. Like we need the shared location that doesn't change because mm-hmm. we need to pull from it. But then we can all use our own personalized systems if we want to on the side. Yeah. Cool. Embrace the pendulum. Embrace the pendulum. I think that's a good place to stop this episode. Yep. Uh, so more obscure crappy villains coming in the next five questions episode golf man shout out to bouncy boy (laughs) shout out to bouncing boy 
the lamest one. I, I'm going to call it the lamest one. Oh, Bouncing? Bouncing? It's Bouncing IG. Boy. Oh, shout yeah. out to Bouncing Boy. Sorry I mean, about the name. The pro football player was pretty bad, but... <laughs> Well, I just think that that's very thematic to have the pro football player and like the almighty dollar fighting together or whatever. That's that's true. It is very that's, thematic. That's very deep. But bouncing boy is way deeper than that. Is it? Yeah. It's he's both bouncing and a boy. I'm gonna need like a six page essay by next week about the right. metaphysical characteristics uh, and social commentary inherent in the nature of bouncing boy. I will not do that, and then I will say I did on the next podcast. Cool. All right, guys, show notes, if you didn't hear, are over at CIGpodcast.com slash 127. There you'll find all the things that we mentioned in this episode, which you might like to check out. You'll also find ways to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, which is extraordinarily helpful for the growth of the show. So if you want to support the show, that's one way to do so. And I think that's all we got. So thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Stay cute. Thank you.